they interpreted it one way and literally the entire body of hobbyist community in the United States, which is like, you know, a, a major organization and then like a few hundred thousand people would say, no, you operated within your rights. So they ended up finding me. I wasn't prepared financially to fight it legally, so I paid the fine. <laughs> My name is Paul Nurkula. I fly under the handle Nurk. And you can find me on YouTube and Instagram at NurkFPV. FPV is first person view. And that's what I do. I fly first person view drones and uh, became the uh, 2018 world champion of drone racing. I've got credits in major feature films. And I got a baby due in a month and a half. So any parenting advice is welcome. <laughs> Have you done that before? Have you got that written down someday? That was really good. No, that was not written down, but I find little different versions of it for sure. Off, off the cuff and everything you do, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm thinking of calling the title Flying Your Own Race for this or Fly Your Own Race. Yeah. I think I'll go with that. I'd be proud to have you. <laughs> I live off grid as well, uh, Paul, in, uh, in the UK. And so the winter gets a bit cold. Um, so I always look for a warmer climate to escape to. Where in the UK? Uh, Lake District. Okay, yep. Beautiful. You, do you know you know that place? Yeah, I I went once. It was, uh, it was the only time I remember rain not going down but horizontal, <laughs> exclusively. So I didn't really get to explore it much. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, we were only able to go into the Lake District for one day. Um, I I lived in, uh, Carlisle for the better part of a month. Um, oh. back in nine ten, um, and then I've been to. Uh, London a couple different times both for drone racing and stuff and then uh, we also took a, a venture out to Bath, uh, Bath with my man. wife Bath. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get the northern expression so you did Carlisle was that drone racing yeah. then no that was um I was working right was, it was back back when I was a programmer back when you were doing the nine till five yeah exactly Carlisle's not exactly the most picturesque uh, place to go and live for a month. You know, I live in the middle of soy fields, so right. honestly, anything is better than that. So. <laughs> <laughs> you still nice. have a castle, I mean. <laughs> very true. Right, um, let's just jump straight in, shall we? Thank you very much for joining me on the Proper Job podcast. I'm loving the mug, by the way. Is that like leather bound? Not to sound like Anchorman. Oh, this? Yeah, my my coffee mug. Yeah, it's it's not leather. It's just uh, it's it's uh, my wife made it. It's like it's ceramics, but it's um, just she kind of stenciled it in to look like wood. I don't. It's kind of like this little like lip here is kind of awkward. And like, <laughs> yeah, I, I usually pick it up left handed and then it comes to my mouth like that. So I have to I don't use it all the time. But yeah, it's good. Get the dribble coming down every now and again. Yeah, it's, the, the, it's all right. You're good at the moment, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's the life of a beard. Talking of your uh, wife, um, Xmas presents. So normally they're given with good intentions apart from a pair of socks. And most Xmas presents get put in a drawer and never, and never picked up again. But one of your Xmas presents from your in-laws was a drone that literally set you off on this path uh, to where you are today. Yeah, it so RC like remote controlled stuff had never been like a part of my life. I'd always wanted it to be. I think as kids, we all want like cool toys like that. And 
but like my 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 dad is very bad vision in one eye, and so he can't he doesn't have a sense of depth perception. So RC traditionally something that you would do like with your parent because it's relatively expensive for like a kid. You know, you kind of have to both have your the father son into it. You know, uh, was never an option. So you know, in I kind of fast forwarded through until I you know became a, a working professional. I had some money and I, I bought myself like a couple little like toy helicopters like silly little like walmart grade things and and that year for christmas after i had kind of started going down that path my in-laws bought me a little toy drone um and it's this just twenty dollar piece of junk that barely flew and and i had the opportunity to we they have a really big living room and i just remember christmas morning like a little kid just flying i'm and at this point i'm 24 like i'm not like a little kid anymore (laughs) flying this drone around the room and like in in instinctually i'm like challenging myself right like can i land it on this thing can i fly it through that thing can i um you know do all, all all those sorts of things and and i broke it and uh at, the, at that time, I was working as a software engineer. And I'm like, hey, I'm I'm kind of an engineer. I should be able to figure out how to put this back together. And uh, I went online. I got a YouTube university education in uh, how to fix drones. Got it back in the air. And in that process, discovered the wonderful world of drone racing. Right. So that's where it all started. So going back to school, what made you pick software engineering? Um, You know, I never really knew what I wanted to do. Um, especially when it came to college. And so my, it, it turns out that both my parents are professors. Um, my dad teaches computer engineering, software engineering, but I didn't know any programming or have any interest in it before college. And when I got to college, I kind of looked at the job market. I looked at like, what would, what would make sense? And so I said, okay, I'll do programming that it, it, it's, it's a good opportunity. And, and my goal for programming was never to really write code for very long it was to manage programmers i'm not really that smart of a person but i can find smart people and keep them around me (laughs) and uh so i like to kind of be the guy who was the person who would interact with the business people and then translate to the programmers and then translate back why the programmers didn't want to do it Yeah, yeah, I've seen those communication skills in your videos and your Instagram and things like that. So when you're in that nine till five, were you looking for a way out? Were, were you enjoying it? You know, I actually really did like the jobs that I had. Uh, for I, I worked for a, a digital marketing company for a while, and I got to work on some cool tools. And, and then I actually became a, the CTO for like a small tech startup and was kind of like right in the place where I wanted to be um, in terms of programming. And that company that I had been working for at that time ended up drying up, ran out of money. And as I started going for more and more like part-time work, like where I would just kind of pick up some extra work to kind of supplement the fact that I wasn't getting paid from my company for a while, uh, I started gradually switching to being self-employed. I did about a year of self-employment as a, like just a contract programmer. And then in that time, that was right when I was starting to get pretty competitive with drones. And so I kind of basically started or I, I did as little programming as I could where I could make money using drones, whether that's in racing or whatever. So I kind of slowly switched over from programming to drone stuff. Okay. I've, I've lost your video, but Oh shoot here. Let me, Oh no, you're on again. 
Yeah, let me just do something really quick and sure. it will be more consistent. One second. You might lose me again for a second, but I'll be right back. I'm sorry. I promise. <laughs> just get rid of me. <laughs> I can hear you again. Okay. All right. I just switched networks. Uh, my router has been having some problems lately. Paid freaking $200 for a router. It's a piece of junk. But anyway. I see you're coming back. So at this time, you're, you're doing the self-employed software engineering. And it's obviously sounds like the perfect timing where the drone kind of racing was kicking off for you. But what made you so sure? That, like, what, Tell me, walk me through how you you made that that switch was there a kind of safety net you had in place in terms of savings was it a bit of right well i'm just going to jump off the cliff and see what happens the that's hard to say that's a great question so at at the time i had been working for myself uh, as a programmer i was doing okay uh, like i guess what was comfortable this the other thing i should say is i have a wife who has a pretty stable job as a nurse. So that's a really nice safety net. Um, definitely couldn't have done any of this without her. Um, so shout out to, to Rachel, my, my beautiful wife. Um, but uh, what I was able to do was slowly switch away from the programming side and into drone stuff. And, and those drone ventures were kind of starting to make a little bit of their own money. So like basically... I wouldn't necessarily replace time as much as I would replace income. So like as as I was able to make more doing one thing, I would stop doing a little bit less of the programming. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and then the other side of it was I, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, got a contract from the Drone Racing League, uh, which is a TV show on uh, NBC and NBCSN here in the States, Sky Sports in the UK, uh, Pro Sieben in Germany. And that came along with uh, not a not a huge paycheck but a but a paycheck something that i could at least consistently do and and it was at that time where i said okay i need to really focus and practice and get better at this and so it was kind of like a, okay we we see the potential my wife and i see the potential for where this could go it's a once in a lifetime shot you know we got to take it you know it's not a it wasn't ever like a, uh, i don't know if i should do this it was a, okay we're going for it or we're not and, and we decided to go for it so <laughs> so it sounds like you, you had the confidence and it's also it also sounds like you've always had the confidence or, or is that not the case was there a self-doubt of like oh shit you know this this could go this could go wrong oh i mean i wake up every day with that sense of self-doubt <laughs> but you know that's that uh you know predator kind of lurking in the shadows is what keeps you going right so um it's yeah, there. It, it's it's very infrequently that I don't doubt what I do. You know, it's 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 a lot of unknowns, and and I thrive on that. But at the same time, I never know. You know what what what's next week going to look like? Where am I going to be? What am I going to be doing? Things like the pa pandemic make it pretty hard to work. Um, surprisingly, as I'm sure everyone's found out. So, yeah, it's there's a whole lot of different unknowns. Because you come across really confident in the videos and, and in your content, um, but you're just like, you know, other creatives where there are those demons inside your head of challenging you every single day. One of the 
techniques I developed or like kind of worked on for drone racing was I kind of have like a, a the ability to like switch personalities. Um, so in the drone racing world, we have what we call uh, we we just we have their handles like usernames, but like you actually use it in real life. So people, I'm Paul Nurkula. People actually call me Nurk to my face pretty regularly. It's a little weird, but whatever. And and so what I basically did was I developed Nurk almost into like an alternative personality, a character that was a lot more confident and driven and excited and excitable than Paul Nurkula really is, who's kind of a, a nerd programmer, doesn't really, you know, I want to have everything in place before I kind of take a leap. So it's it's really nice because when I get into that, like I'm not certain what's going to happen. I'm not confident. I can just click into Nurk mode and and it, it 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 switches over. And obviously that's really good for racing when you know you've got to be on and you've got to be operating at 100 percent perfectly. Uh, but then you know it also turns into a pretty good. I'm not going to say character, but um, you know amplification of what I want to be uh, in videos and content. So. That's interesting, because I, I did see your video of how your journey into being a, a professional drone pilot, and I don't know if you did this on purpose and when you edited the videos, but in your first race you said you crashed out, and that you had to reset your mind and come back with a different attitude, and so there's, there's this video of you kind of shaky, kind of like all over the place, kind of pale in the face, and then you said you came back with this new renewed mindset. And then you see this other version of you, and now what you've just said that out kind of all clicks into place. Was it some kind of self awareness? Who gave you this kind of tip? It it's a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading books about like sports performance, um, uh, golf. There's a lot of similarity between drone racing and golf. It's about repeatability, consistency. Um, very very minute specific movements and how to recreate those um a lot of racing content uh whether that's like you know documentaries on racing or reading books from like race car drivers and then um and then the there's actually a producer on the drone racing league um that he he kind of gave us the idea of you know be an amplified version of yourself which his intention was to talk about you know how you show up on camera right because we're it's a, I mean, in, in a way, racing is a reality show, right? It's, it's people are there to watch personalities and characters develop and hope they win. They want to be fans of that. And so by being a bigger version of yourself, it's easier for people to kind of latch on to what that is. But I took that and not and developed it not only into like what is an on-screen presence, but also into, oh, this is how I can also get into that that zone where you know, muscle memory is taking over instead of actually actively thinking about all the processes and by kind of like figuring out how to just like make that snap happen and switch over. Um, it, it kind of grew. So I don't, what happened between that first race, that first professional race, I got last like 12th out of 12 people. Actually there were more people. It was 16th out of 16. Um, and then the next one was okay. I know what not to do now. I can't do any worse than this. Let's put in a bunch of work and figure out how to flip that attitude for the next time out. And then the very next race, I was uh, second, uh, second place at the the whole event. So it, I'm not, 
I don't know if there was like a specific thing that did it, but all of that kind of led into like, okay, here's how we're going to do this. We're not going to suck anymore. We're going to figure this out. And, and I came back with a lot more confidence in the next race for sure. Because you said in the, the video a couple of times, uh, you said the expression race your own race. And that interests me because it seems like you do that in life anyway. Like you, you kind of like set your own rules. Yeah. So the the idea of fly your own race was that, you know, if if yeah, sorry. Your, fly your own race. No, yeah, you're good. <laughs> I mean, ra- race your own race is a little more uh, <laughs> broad sweeping, but I tried to make it a little bit more niche for myself. Uh, but you think it, so in a very like specific example, if I'm in a in a race with somebody and, you know, they're in front of me and I need to get past them to win. In that moment, if I'm choosing to battle against them, I'm pushing myself outside of what I can control. And and racing is about managing what you can control and what you can actually do. And so, you know, they might be faster on that day. And if I say, oh, I need to push to 110%, I'm going to crash and make a mistake. So instead of focusing on external factors like... Uh, they're going faster than me. I can't keep up with them. I am not good enough. I can instead focus on internal things. I've done the practice. I know what I'm capable of. I'm going to fly at my highest level of performance and count on them to make the mistake. So by saying fly your own race, what I'm doing is pushing out the things that are external that get in the way of me performing at my best and instead zoning in on the things that I can control. And in that moment, um, be competitive in that way. So the fly your own race mentality is just what can you control? What can you do well? And that sounds like it would come in useful in everyday life, especially not well, not everyday life for you, should I say? You know, on YouTube and on Instagram, instead of like comparing yourself to rivals and competitors, you just look at yourself. There's a famous song that says the race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. And that kind of mentality of you, what you do is like, instead of looking at that other person and trying to beat that other person, you just look at, you know, you kind of remove them from the situation. Exactly. The, the thing that kind of made me start thinking about that was um, back in, in college, I was really into running, like, and, and I went to a couple of foot races. I don't know how to describe, like, did like a, a couple half marathons and stuff like that. And what was amazing about those events was that nobody, like, if you pass someone, they like cheer you on. They're like, Oh, good on you. You're, you're crushing it, dude. And I'm like, not everybody, but like, you know, enough people that were paying that were there. And you're just like, Oh, this is kind of weird. And you, and you realize that everyone's there not to race against each other, but to race themselves to best themselves to better themselves. And, and so I try to take that mentality back into, into drone racing is that, you know, if somebody beats me, it's not because they were trying to beat me or, no, well, not necessarily that specifically it's, it's, they were, they had their best day. They achieved at the level that they expected to achieve. And so that's where I'm trying to bring that back in with the kind of fly your own race mentality is achieve at the best level you can. I'm loving the motto. I want to move on to, to the addictions and I know it has negative connotations. Um, you know, it's normally associated with boozing, sex, drugs, you, you know, new, you name it. But I've been talking to a lot of artists and there's a lot of similarities. When I say artists, I'm creatives and, 
you know, professionals doing doing the kind, same kind of things you're doing. And their addiction <coughs> is their work. And I feel that in order to, it's like one of the key ingredients for people like yourself who are successful or, or on the pathway to, to that kind of, that journey. But how, how do you manage it? Because I know what it's like that when I'm sinking my work, my, my time into this, my girlfriend will be asking for a little bit of her, you know, her time, you know, friends, family, all kinds of stuff like that. Can you tell me some tips for, for how you manage that? Is there a way you structure your day? Uh, do you have set times to relax, for instance? Do you give yourself a certain amount of work time or social time? You know, I don't think I manage it very well. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, it's, I like to push hard. I like to work hard. Um, I'm kind of a, addicted to the work as much as I am to the craft. Um, so it's, it's not, Hmm. So the way, so I, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't really manage it. I just kind of go until I can't, and then I fall asleep. <laughs> um, it's you know whether that's in in like in flying is not you know when I'm when I'm practicing for a race it's not a I really want to go out and fly. It's a discipline. It's I you know I'm going to wake up at ten. I'm going to be at the field by. 11 I'm gonna fly from 11 until 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. when the sun goes down I'm gonna go to the gym for an hour and then I'm going to fix drones until 3 in the morning fall asleep and start it all again the next day and that's not fun but I have to do it it's, it's it is a you know I, I have to stay sharp I have to compete I want to get better I want to be the world champion so it's like it dive I it, it I'm I like the discipline aspect. I like the 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 punishment. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it it does. So it, do you have a plan before you start the day then? So obviously for yourself Paul every day is going to be different. Um, yeah. But do you have like a, a a list and you and you write down the times like you said from 10 to 11 I'm doing this and etc cetera, etc. Cetera? Yeah, it definitely depends. Uh, so like when I'm in the, the midst of training for an event, it's very much like, you know, we're going to we're going to be out the door by then we're going to be flying until then we're going to it's more of a list of things I have to get accomplished in that awake period. <laughs> it's not that there's like set times. It's like you have to get all of these things done. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to doing creative stuff or, you know, day to day, like right now, I, I haven't been traveling much lately. Uh, because my wife is actually pregnant with our first child who's going to be born in like a month, month and a half or so. So I'm kind of trying to stick around the house a little bit more. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I operate under like priorities. So like I'll let whatever is most important float to the top and just try to take it down each way, each time. So like, you know, okay one of my priorities is I release a YouTube video every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I'm going to get that done. Then I'm going to move into, you know, uh, whatever else is going on. And I just try to get as much done as I can in that awake period. And when I get so exhausted, I can't think straight. I will play some video games for a little bit or, and, and run. So 
yeah. <laughs> that, that's interesting because my next question was leading on to prioritizing your time and, and how you, you, you say you prioritize based on importance, but what are those metrics for importance? I wish I had a good answer for you other than it's uh, when someone's yelling at me to get something done, it's pretty important. Um, you know, I kind of, so, so I have goals that I set. Um, so like for the month of November, I, uh, am trying to right now I'm working on growing my YouTube channel. Like that's kind of one of the biggest goals for the month, just because I'm home. I have the time. I have no excuses for right now. So it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, videos are going out Tuesday podcast is going out Thursday vlog is going out. And if I don't get those done as the priority, I've failed. Um, I've also took, taken on a little bit of contracting work in this month. So, you know, that has to get done when things are asked to be done. Um, and then, you know, taking advantage of the weird times we are like refinancing the house. I've got to like do a profit and loss statement, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> just like, this sounds awful, but I got to get it done. So, you know, the, when someone asks and I, I kind of just work out of my email a lot too, it's just like, Oh, this person needs this stuff. I'm going to try to get it done right now, or I'm going to push it because it's not as important as something else. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of scatterbrained. Um, but it, it's, I tick things off in, as they become important, if that makes sense. No, it, it clearly works too. So that's, it, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> depends on who you ask. Yes. My wife, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> so in, in terms of that, I can tell you're motivated by your passions and not so much the money. Cause I, I, I when I originally wrote that question about priorities, Obviously, yeah. for people who are working a normal nine to five, that's normally money, right? Whereas yeah. people who are doing what you're doing, it's normally passion and bettering yourself. That's normally what yeah. al always comes in. But obviously, the money helps. And in terms of what you're doing at the moment, what is your most lucrative income stream? And I want that to compare that to uh, drone racing, uh, drone competitions. Is it, I'm sure when you started it wasn't as big as it is now and i'm sure it's getting it's getting even bigger what what's it like in the sport in terms of in terms of the money i guess the first thing i'm going to say is i would be making a lot more money if i just had a 9 to 5 programming job <laughs> right okay <laughs> at the at at the stage like if i look at like my friends that started at the same time as i did and where they are at now in their careers as programmers um you know i would be doing a lot better uh however I basically have my income is divided up into basically four categories right now. And it's really three, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it for four for the sake of clarity. One is drone racing. So like actual competition, the sort of, you know, uh, practicing, flying, racing, that sort of stuff. One is, and I'll, I'll kind of go into detail on each of these. The next is YouTube and, and I guess really I just say content creation. So that includes like paid sponsorships, paid partnerships, sponsors, um, and AdSense, affiliate marketing, that sort of stuff. Uh, the third is filming. Um, so I have, you know, a very specific set of skills 
to take cameras and do cool things with them uh, for the sake of whatever project people are working on. So whether that's a feature film or, um, you know, smaller advertisements, production, stuff like that, just take the This is associated to your business, uh, Cineactive Media, yeah? Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. And then the fourth is contracting is really all the details I can give on that, but taking my knowledge of UAVs and applying it for whatever thing someone is trying to do. Um, Usually that entails me flying it and saying it flies like garbage or it flies well. Here's how you make it fly well, sort of stuff like that. Okay. Um, So each of those things, um, you know, contribute to my income. They each get different levels of attention um, depending on what's going on, but they all kind of inform each other, right? The more I race, the better I am at handling pressure, which means that when I'm on set and the director says action, I'm not going to freak out. And if I'm on set, I'm learning more about how to film things and I can take that and make it make my YouTube channel more creative. And the more I spend on YouTube finding things to work on and learning, I can develop a consulting business even more so like all of these things kind of come back together to to inform each other and it's it's really nice it's really cool so i try to push on each of them now in terms of income from each of them i would say they're all pretty much equal um maybe with a slight emphasis on the drone racing side because i do have a, a contract with the drone racing league to appear for so many hours on nbc um i can't disclose how much that is um but I would say it's not enough to live on and support my family. So I do more than just that, if that makes sense. I, I was, it's kind of an associated question. Um, I was listening to a podcast you did in 2018 and your opening kind of start, your, your introduction was, hey, just trying to find a living doing fun stuff instead of work stuff. And a shout out to that podcast because I've obviously I've I've looked at it. It was uh, the Fly Life podcast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he started off. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know if it was a recording or not. I had that like. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of Martin in general. He's just uh, he's 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 a bit of a space cadet. You're just kind of like, wait, are we going or not? Or he's like, oh, of course. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but but based on that statement, because you said compared to if you stayed in software engineering compared to what you're doing now, you'd be earning more. But then based on that statement, you want to be doing fun stuff instead of work stuff. But then at the same time, you said earlier in the conversation that you're, you're almost a glutton for punishment. It, you don't get to do the fun stuff until you've worked hard, right? It's, you know, there, I, yes, I get to, you know, travel around the world. I, I went to England for drone racing. Um, Prior to that, I have broken so many parts. I have spent so much money. I have cashed in relationship dollars. I have, um, you know, spent hours just trying to get the perfect turn on the racetrack so that I, you know, don't completely botch it when I get there. Um, But once you are in that moment, either in that race or at that location or visiting this place, you know, the work that you did is kind of the spice that brings out the flavor of the opportunity to go somewhere. So like, you know, one of my favorite memories of um, flying drones was I we did a, a race in Munich, Germany, 
And after the race, my wife and I went to Switzerland with one of the pilots was living there at the time. And we went for some incredible hikes in the Swiss Alps. We brought the drones out and did some really awesome flights along, you know, the mountains of the Swiss or like the peaks of the Swiss Alps. And, you know, you're, I'm kind of sitting there petting like a, you know, a, a little mountain sheep that has the little bells like tinkling away. Um, you know, while my friend's flying this drone, I'm like, holy, can I, can I swear on this podcast? Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, holy shit, we're here because of drones. Like, and, and, you know, in those moments, all of the, you know, blood, sweat, tears, dollars, relationship dollars that you have spent are immediately worth it because it's now you're in that moment of okay this is what it's all about and and so yeah i'm a glutton for punishment because i know that if i work hard at something the rewards will come later and and that that makes me excited about what the what potential could happen later that makes sense but i want to throw something back at you because in the nine till five job the kind of what people are doing there is they they reward themselves through holiday or they will um, wait until they retire, which I always find is a really amusing um, thing that yep. people say, like, I'm going to live my life when I retire. Yeah. So for you, it clearly wasn't fulfilling you, that kind of nine till five. I, I kind of see, I see what you're getting at, but I, I was fulfilled. I did enjoy what I did, and I worked really hard at what I did, and, and, I, and I liked it. But when I saw the opportunity to have fun along the way, to kind of enjoy the journey, uh, you know, you got to kind of, you got to go for that, right? Yeah. Okay. It, it is a lot of work, but like, you know, I, I get to sprinkle in those fun stuff. Like, you know, I, a day of work a few months ago was riding around in a Bugatti Chiron, which is a $4 million car. You know, it's like, oh, this wouldn't ever happen if I was sitting at a desk. Like you, so, you know, these kinds of things, you know, you, you, you figure out that, you know, if, if I can develop myself and build myself and build like my business, which is all four of those categories we were talking about, it gives me the opportunities to have more fun at work too, right? The more people that I can get watching, the more people are willing to let me come try their stuff, you know, like, which I know sounds terrible, but those kind of experiences make it really fun to, to keep doing this. So other than sitting on top, stroking your sheep and uh, driving, <laughs> driving the, um, the Bugatti, what I wasn't other- sure what you were going to ask me to stroke. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where we're going with this one, man. <laughs> this is the after hours podcast yeah there you go <laughs> so when you do it within your film company uh Cineactive media yeah what is the coolest thing you've done there oh the coolest thing that i've done was just recently i got to work on my first feature film um so i don't i don't know what details i'm allowed to say um, but it was like, you know, like a film with like a major, you know, multi-million dollar budget and, you know, with top name actors and stuff like that. And, and my, they, they wanted me specifically to come fly a drone for some scenes. And so being on set with, you know, real talent, real directors that, you know, have worked on some really cool stuff, um, it, that was it, it was it was super stressful and horrible from that aspect because it was like i 
do I deserve to be here? Can I actually do this? Did I oversell myself? But at the same time, holy shit, this is cool. I am so excited to see what that looks like. So like, I am hoping that the pandemic subdues so I can go watch this movie on the big screen because that has been like my goal for like three years has been get a shot into a feature film. And so I'm like, if I have to watch it on Netflix or something, I'm going to be a little sad, but it's still going to be awesome. But I want to go to the movie theater, grab a tub of popcorn and watch the, uh, watch this movie with, um, with my shots in it, which is still ridiculous. That's a very cool goal. And, and that kind of relates to, um, you, cause you gained a lot of attention and uh, when you flew into the, uh, moving freight yep. train, yeah. yo, Sid Phillips here in post-production, just to add some context to the video, he not only flies into the moving freight train via open door, he obviously flies out again. He lands on top of the freight train, but he also flies his drone underneath the freight train and goes alongside the wheels and then comes out the other side. And, and I, just reading like about that, I know that wasn't particularly pre-planned versus I expect Hollywood is very like, you know, exacting and you've got to do this yeah. at this time. And it- in just to kind of fire back on that, it was a weird combination of both for for the set because like in, on one hand they're like this is what we want, but we also want you to use your paintbrush the way that you would do it. And so they had a lot. They were open to at least with this director, they were open to a lot of creative input. Um, and you know we went back and forth on some su- suggestions and and came up with what the. They, they said that they looked at the dailies and they were very, very excited about what they saw. So we'll see. <laughs> that must give you a lot of confidence in that moment to, to, you know, to turn up on set and one thing you think you're going to be directed and then for them to turn around yeah. and go, actually, we know you can do this shit. Tell us what you think. Yeah, it 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 helped a lot. I was I was genuinely very, very nervous because uh, it was my first like big set. I mean, like 200 people you know, just standing around with multi-million dollar cameras, you know, or not, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollar cameras. And then here I am with my like garage built, I'm not going to say toy, but pretty much a toy compared to what they're working with. And, you know, but the, the director and the director of photography were both very like, Hey, we're excited. We know that this is a unique situation. Uh, what do you think? Here's our ideas. Let's work on it together. And they were so, and maybe I got really lucky. Maybe I don't, I don't think that always happens, but I was really, really grateful for the, like they, they supported me. They were like, let's, let's work together on this. Let's get it done. And I was just like, all right, this is, this is good. It, it helped with the, the confidence. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But that sort of self doubt for, for at least that day was uh, removed for a little while. So yeah, absolutely. going back to that freight train, has that given you these kind of, uh, moments where you kind of dream of shots you want to create yeah i i have lots of shots that i still want to do um and i and i you know some of them i can't for like legal reasons i guess like you know it would violate airspace restrictions or whatever and then some of them are just like i don't have the the process or money or people in place to make it happen um or the context like you know i would love to work on red bull rampage which is like they go out in somewhere in the western united states and they have this like insane line down the ridge of a mountain where like if they make one wrong move they're you know toast um but it's just some of the most epic 
comp like huge air like big jumps and stuff like that i really want to get a, a drone in there and like film that sort of thing but i just don't have the right people to talk to like hey like let me come on out but and there's also guys in in this space that are also very talented at flying drones and and so i gotta kind of compete with them to get work too so it's uh <laughs> it makes it tricky uh, especially for such a niche thing um where was i going with that the, so yeah, there are tons of different things that I definitely still want to do, not necessarily because of the train video, but just always thinking about, you know, what's the next thing? What, what can I do to impress people? What can I do that would be really fun to work on? What can I do to, to get to the next level? Anything spring to mind that you can tell me right now? Yeah, we're, so we're working on, so one of the biggest problems with FPV drones is stabilization. That's the biggest problem that we're trying to solve. Um, because yeah, there's a certain look and feel that you can get out of, you know, having the camera like locked to the drone, right? So as soon as I roll the drone, the, 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 what the camera sees also rolls. And there's a few different ways to solve that problem, um, whether that's software or camera tracking or whatever. Um, but FPV doesn't use gimbals very much because they're heavy and expensive, but the Ronin S2 came out recently. We're building a, a big drone that we can put that Ronin on and then put a cinema camera on top of that. But it's still a drone that can go 100 miles an hour with that payload. It still is really, really maneuverable and we can get it in places that you couldn't get like a big old, you know, cinema rig or an Inspire 2. Um, and, and it's much more capable. And so that's kind of like the, the next thing that I'm trying to work on is how do I bring cinema level stuff into the world of fpv and create this combat a new combination that people will want to hire in the next two three four years if that makes sense yeah and how do i do it first <laughs> okay that freight train was it an illegal shot was, was that breaking regulations it depends on who you ask <laughs> so it uh let's put it this way i ended up receiving a civil penalty from the faa uh -huh. so it was legally determined that it was illegal. It was through a process determined that it was illegal. The reasons that they fined me for were not necessarily related to where or how I was flying. Basically, in, so in the United States, you are allowed to operate a drone or an RC aircraft for hobby purposes pretty much anywhere. And at that point I was operating as a hobbyist. Like this is all I did was make a video and put it on YouTube and that video was not monetized. So it's not a commercial thing. It's not a, you know, stuff like that. But w because the video got so much attention, the FAA found it said, Oh, we have to, you know, m make a, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Make, make an example out of him because it, it's perceived dangerous and in, in, in their defense, like it was not the most responsible thing. I, I absolutely agree. Um, and so what they find me on was that I was operating with FPV. So I was wearing goggles over my eyes, which made, meant that I didn't have line of sight on the drone. And as soon as I do that, I am now operating under part 107 principles, which is the commercial use of drones in the United States. And as a result, they then read the riot act of all of the part 107 guidelines that I was violating by, um, you know, operating over top of something by, um, 
operating outside of visual line of sight, all these sorts of things. So, but that was all down to how you interpreted one line of one piece of legislation. Wow. Okay. So, so yes and no, it, it, it was like, you know, it was irresponsible. I would not have said it was illegal. Uh huh. Just to summarize until, that. until they told me it was illegal. <laughs> because nearly two years ago, um, I don't know if you heard about this in the UK, but Gatwick airport got shut down for nearly yep. two days because people were playing around with drones. And there's actually a thing on my Instagram. I did an animation about that when I was in my kind of weird animation days. I found it quite funny. I don't think that because there's this kind of like David versus Goliath moment. Obviously, it's probably not funny or for all the people who wanted to go on holiday for those for those two yeah. days. But what I'm trying to get at is, uh, I won't ask for your opinion, as clearly you're an upstanding citizen and won't and won't break the law. But we'll ignore that. I try la- to be <laughs> that last part you said. Um, I mean, like I learned a lesson in that, right? It's I I very much more measured now on when and how I fly. Um, and and I, I do have my part 107 I have my commercial operator's license like and I and I look out for that right that's my that that little piece of plastic is my primary source of income at this point so I have to abide by the rules and and I encourage everybody else to do so um, so yes I did I, and, and honestly like I have a lot of shame over the train the train video because it you know it, when when we did when I did it nobody thought twice about it right it's it's a train it is literally a multi million ton piece of equipment and this is a 500 gram drone it's not going to hurt anything we're going to be fine but you know at the same time the way it was perceived and then how many people saw it that combination is like okay that's a little you know i I understand from that perspective so i've chosen instead to find pride not in the flight itself because I, i i guess i have shame of that but instead find ways to you know, I'm glad about how many people it's brought into the hobby. You know, probably a couple times a week, somebody will message me on Instagram and be like, hey, I started flying because I saw this video. And that, to me, um, you know, that fills me with pride. And, and that's that's how I choose to see the end result of that video, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think you should be proud of it. I, I think it is an amazing shot. And, and the way you fought at that time was like, I'm going to seize this opportunity. And it seems to relate to a lot of things in your life. But as a typical government, and be this in the US or the UK, regulations yeah. have really clamped down on that. And I agree with you, there is there are good things because of that. But have you mm. seen regulations tighten in the US and has that impacted you in terms of like work? Yeah. The so regulations tightened down probably I would say just before um twenty seventeen. And then from 2017 to about 2019, they pretty much remained the same. Um, and then in 2019, they introduced what they're calling the FAA Reauthorization Act, which the goal of which is to make sure that all drones are registered and follow some sort of protocol for entering U.S. airspace. And that particular piece of legislation pretty much effectively kills off the hobbyist side of RC in general in the United States um, because of the requirements that they have to operate inside of airspace. So 
were like there's actually individual companies in the United States that are like suing the FAA saying that it's dramatically impeding their business for example and like sort of processes like this um that you know because we strongly disagree that what the FAA has is wanting to put in place uh violates what we think are our rights as people to operate in in United States airspace um on the commercial side, it really doesn't change that much. Um, so, you know, in terms of work, you know, I have to follow most of these protocols anyway. And the the change that they're asking or the changes that they're asking for is just another step in the process. And that process is already pretty lengthy anyway, so who cares? You know? <laughs> um, but in terms of thinking about like the hobbyist community, if we kill off, you know, the ability for people to kind of get excited to learn how to fly, um, to get started you know, yeah yeah i mean buzz aldrin did rc when he was young and got excited about technology and went to the moon because of it you know so if we're, we're trying to kill off of this industry which you know kills like stem programs which is you know science technology education um you know it kills the you know the availability of equipment right so if we basically we would basically be saying dji we don't want you in the United States anymore because there's no consumer level stuff anyway, you know? And so now there's many, many jobs, people that are not attempting to do any of this kind of stuff. And, and as a result, the industry overall dies. So, um, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, commercial side pretty much remains the same, except that the availability of gear, the availability of equipment, the number of people that are working in the industry dramatically drops and to the point where it's going to hurt the industry in the long term. So it's ongoing fight by the sounds of it, Paul. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. I want to move on to, to something else is that, um, that was kind of bad as well, what we just spoke about, but <laughs> this is going to be a little bit too. Um, but with obviously all your media and, and the content you create at YouTube and Instagram and, and seeing you on TV shows, you know, doing the drone, the drone racing, we see the kind of the tip of the iceberg and that kind of like, you know, people will see that and it, it's very entertaining and it's, a, it's happy. It, it's like the best of you. Can you talk about some of your setbacks uh, especially, you know, setbacks in your life or perhaps related to the journey associated to drones? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm trying to think of like concrete examples. Like, you know, every day has a setback, um, and, but they're insignificant, right? It's, it's just another part of that grind. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe a good example would be the pandemic right so the especially in the united states overnight the filming industry was pretty much just lopped off at the head right there we can't have this many people in one space especially in an industry that's very controlled by um unions um so you know, you know where they're kind of setting the rules setting the pricing on all that kind of stuff it's very it, it became very quickly very hard to work in this industry so you know that in in basically what i was planning on for you know six seven eight months now worth of income is now pretty much unavailable or is extremely hard to find because there is no one's trying not very many people are trying to film stuff it's starting to happen again now but you know for the last six months it hadn't been 
so I looked at that and I, could, I said, there's, I could do a couple different things. I can go get a real job and just like try to get some work, get through this, or I can double down on what I'm doing and try to make it happen. So, uh, at, uh, you know, basically starting March 1st or something like that, I, I made a checklist for every single day and that checklist had two things on it, publish a video exercise. (laughs) And those are the only things that I had to get done each day for the month of like March, April, May, like the kind of the heart of pandemic. And for about two months, every weekday, I put out a video every day. And I ended up running like a 18 mile run by the end of that period. Um, just because I was I said, this is what I'm gonna do. And I was able to make um, you know, the, the YouTube channel grew significantly. I think in this year alone, I went from like 60,000 to a hundred thousand subscribers. Um, and then I was able to bring in enough income between YouTube affiliate marketing and that sort of stuff to kind of sustain the place in life that I am. So, you know, when you're kind of face down with those sorts of things, it's, you figure out how do I make an opportunity out of this instead of let it consume, the fact that I can't do what I wanted to be doing. And I think that that opens up some interesting doors. You know, I have been, I've done like, for example, I've done a little bit of marketing on, you know, for the filming side and saying like, Hey, just saying like drones are the ultimate socially distanced filmmaking tool, right? I don't have to be anywhere near anybody and I can still film them like, you know, which is mostly just to get a laugh out of somebody. But at the same time, they're like, Oh yeah, that's a good point. So (laughs) You talk about running and posting a daily video and I, I'm hearing kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm sm- not in a weird way, but I'm smelling Casey Neistat a little bit. And I see that kind of thing in your videos too. Is he an inspiration for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think anyone that's doing stuff on YouTube is, is inspired by what, who, especially like 2018, 2017 Casey Neistat was. Um, but he... It, more than it was like directly inspired by what he's doing. It's more about how he does it. Um, thinking about like the, you know, the, the just ship it mentality. Don't, you know, I could take three days to edit a video, but if I just, you know, get it done and get it out and get people watching and, and people then are following me, not because they think I make the most amazing, perfect content, which I, I strive for, I don't, uh, or, you know, let people have a glimpse into the day to day and see the kind of rough edges and, and let them be a part of, of that process. And, and I think, you know, for building an audience, it's, it's really good because you have people, people are, um, you have people on your mind. No, what what I'm trying to say there, you're on their mind every single day for a little bit and you develop fans as a result of that. And then not only that, but it seems like YouTube algorithm rewards quantity in a way, um, that allows you to kind of sustain that pace. Um, and so it just, it, it made sense that if I'm not doing anything else, I might as well, uh, continue to grow an audience because when everything starts back up, I have more people with their eyes on more people that would potentially want to hire me. Um, and it becomes a really powerful marketing tool to create more opportunities in of itself. Uh, good answer. Good answer. So it's being authentic because I want to know then on that case, yes. it's like, 
given you do come across as a perfectionist in, in some of these things, you strive to be the best. How do you then decide you, your cutoff point? Is it like at the stroke of midnight that you finish editing and you're like, well, I can't do any more because it's the next day? It, I, there, it's a feeling really more than anything it i kind of you know get to the point where okay, i've got the you know the what i want in place i enjoy watching it um and and i i i feel that i would be glad to release it so it's not about so the pacing is not about what other are expecting again it comes back to the fly your own race look at that uh it's does what am, am i happy with what i've produced do I like how this is? Do I like how it looks? Would I enjoy watching this? Yes to all of those. Ship it. Um, you know, don't don't spend don't waste time perfecting when you know uh, it it should just be out now. Strive for protect for for perfection, but when it meets your expectations, your goals. So you talk about discipline a lot in that as well, then. Because someone who wants yeah. to go down, like kind of get into drones or, or even filming for that matter, that's some great advice what you just said there. I always want to like avoid you. People will recommend equipment, for instance, and I always have that phrase mm -hmm. in my head, all the gear, no idea. Yeah. For me, it relates down to kind of the story you're trying to tell. And if you're trying to tell yes. a good story, you you you, you know, you're you 99% of the way there. Is there anything else that you'd like, anyone who, anyone who wants to get into drone racing or drones or filming, it, would you build upon any of the advice you previously said? Any, any specific points? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to rewind back to gear for a second. I, as an experiment, for like a month, filmed everything on a Osmo Action, like a DJI. Like It's basically a GoPro. Nobody noticed nobody cared they were interested in the story <laughs> and like maybe like one or two people were like huh this is kind of looking a little weird but like for the most part it was just like you know i stepped down from a four thousand dollar camera and did like a three hundred dollar camera and people were like nobody nobody gave a shit because it was all about the story um so for people that are just getting started um it's gonna sound really really corny but fly your own race the uh it's if you if you're wanting to make content make it for yourself don't make it for others you know e even now at you know just over 100,000 subscribers and i love having people you know i see a lot of really positive comments people are excited about things that i've done i still get cut by negative comments like it it sucks still um i've been thinking about one for the last 3 days that i i cannot get out of my head um, and it was unjust and unallowed, but I still can't, <laughs> you know, I can't push that out. So in order to not be succumb, in order to not succumb to that negative feeling, if you are happy with the work you do and you make it for yourself and you put it out for you and not worry about the number of views it gets or the comments that you get or how many likes and dislikes, you're still going to be happy, right? Because you have done the work for yourself. Um, beyond that, specifically in drones, uh, my biggest advice is don't be afraid to crash. Uh, 
you're you're going to crash your drone. You're going to break it. I'm going to tell you right now. No matter how much you want, you're going to destroy it. And and I I probably crash now more than I ever did because I continue to push the limits. Right. I try to you know once I get confident with something, I'm like oh well, what's the next thing I can do? How can I destroy this now? You know. And so if you embrace the mentality of not protecting your gear, I mean, be safe, be responsible, but you know if you get the mentality of this is disposable and it's here purely for my enjoyment or for the shot that I'm trying to get, then uh, you're going to develop your skills a lot faster. Yeah. Those are my two biggest pieces of advice for people that want to get into YouTube and or drones. (laughs) We've spoken about YouTube. We've spoken about your business. Um, Let's focus in a little bit on the kind of drone racing for a little bit. So for people who don't really know what that's all about, and yeah explain yeah so there's a lot of different aspects to drone racing there's a ton of different series that you could participate in or watch or whatever i'm gonna plug the drone racing league uh which is a uh i'm contracted by them so take that however you want uh that you know we have a global series of races with different pilots from around the world um, including switzerland uh, Netherlands, UK, Germany, uh, China for a while. Um, we can't get any South Koreans, even though there's a lot of really, really talented South Korean pilots. I, I, maybe they don't want to travel. I don't know. Um, and we put up drone racing courses, basically obstacle courses in epic locations and then race them. So, uh, we've had races in Alexandra Palace in London. Uh, we've had one in uh, the BMW Museum in Munich, Germany, um, in a, an amusement park inside of a casino in Las Vegas, inside of the Biosphere 2 in uh, outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And, and then in like Chase Stadium, which is where the Arizona Diamondbacks play. Um, and, you know, we we film for for now it's been a post-produced show where we just filmed this you know the the race exactly as it happens it's it's reality we're we're actually racing competing to the best of our ability and and then we publish that to uh like a global network of um, distributors so you know espn for a while now it's nbc um sky sports pro seven um and as we've continued to develop the league, we're actually aiming towards more live in-person racing. So when we were at Chase Field, we actually had an audience of 4,500 people in person. This is before the pandemic, uh, watching the drone race live. And, you know, like people are like screaming out, you know, Oh yeah, get up Dirk. Like as you're, you know, racing a drone through a stadium, like, it's like, this is ridiculous. Um, but so, so drone racing kind of is base is is just taking the you know the oldest sport known to man, racing, and and bringing it into the twenty first and soon to be twenty second century uh, by uh, making a, a a league around that. And is that growing? Is is that getting bigger? Like, what are I suppose you you can't really tell me about the TV audience numbers, but are you are 
are you getting a sense that, that it's gaining momentum? I do get a sense that it's gaining momentum. The, the kinds of things that I would point at to prove that are things like, you know, we've, we're going more and more live. So like our first audience was probably, was at Alexander Palace actually, we had about a thousand, maybe 1500 people there. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to this year, we capped, we were overbooked, like we sold out all of our tickets and then tried to add more seats at the last minute for 4,500 people in Arizona. And, and I would imagine that we're looking towards like 10,000 people in person for races coming up. Um, once we get out of this weird situation that we find ourselves in, um, and, and, you know, you see that continue to grow, uh, the drone racing league, for example, has, I think just completed a third round of funding. So like they are, I mean, they're like in the, like the 30, $40 million valuation range. Um, we just hired, uh, Rachel Jacobson, who was the, uh, in charge of marketing for the NBA. She's our new president. So like things like that point to growth. Um, you know, we're not at that point, they can't just be spending money for nothing. We got There's gotta be some sort of point of return at that point. So in my opinion, the pro drone, pro drone racing scene is continuing to expand. Um, and it, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Even, even right now in the middle of a global pandemic, we are continuing to host season races. Um, virtually so i sit at a computer and play the simulator and i'm racing against the other 12 guys in the league uh for which is being broadcast on nbc uh by the time this comes out it will have been a few weeks ago but we're actually doing our race on th this thursday live to nbc from our homes so like we're we're going live to tv from you know me sitting in my basement probably without pants um so that's gonna be pretty cool <laughs> it, i've, I've you, you've spoken about this um this simulator before I've, I've heard you mention it can anyone get hold of that yeah the there's a, a bunch of different drone racing simulators out there again my recommendation shamelessly is the drone racing league simulator uh it's available on steam uh, for I think it's on sale right now actually, uh, but like usually twenty dollars, ten dollars, uh, and then it also just got released to Xbox Network, so you can download it on your Xbox and play the simulator. To give a little bit of a glimpse, I know you've spoken about it a lot, um, but what does a day in the life look like for you? Because I watch your video on um, what one? But you, so you were trying to get a replacement for your GoPro. Mm -hmm. You you were doing the basement in your um your house you were converting mm -hmm. that from what it looked like at the moment and i think that was an old video because i know i know now you're in the garage yeah, yeah and then you raced to to go and film the the frisbee the freestyle mm. frisbee yeah and you were on the go mate you were like boom 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 does every day look like that for you every day looks like that for me yeah um so it's it's a weird week right now um we're not right now but like in general so like if i'm if i'm on the road uh it's gonna be so i like for let's start that over in october i was home for two days for the entire month otherwise i was on set filming or working on a consulting project um i also had a very sh brief vacation like a baby moon with my wife uh in there that i kind of tied into the the beginning end of one of those travel stints which is good we need, definitely need that once in a while um 
so you know when i'm on the road i'm on the road like i try to like book everything in a row like i'll fly from like recently i flew from indianapolis to utah to texas to boston and then back home for three different things um so i try to you know kind of keep everything there then when i'm home um it's all it's mostly about content creation so uh yesterday uh got up at 7 a.m i um I usually take like an hour in the morning to just like not <laughs> uh, drink some coffee, scroll through TikTok, whatever. Um, and then uh, probably eight to uh, one o'clock, I filmed and edited a video for that day. So put it out. Um, it was a full build overview. So it takes a while um, to get through. And I did a couple hours of consulting um, for the company that I'm working with right now. And then we filmed two episodes of our podcast called the good flight um, which is very focused on pulling stories out of the drone industry um, which consumes about five hours uh, I'm back on my exercise every day um, goal so went for uh, uh, I think I did four miles that day um, run which you know that consumes like an hour and a half worth of like oh I gotta get dressed stretch run shower all that stuff and then I got back and started uh, editing for the next day uh, so you know you're talking 12 hours straight back to back to back um, closer to the end of the evening I might pull out my uh, sim racing like car racing rig and get like 30 minutes of just zoning out time and then boom out wake up at seven again the next day start <laughs> that kind of exercising have you seen your game improve since you started doing this exercise uh, absolutely yeah the um, by you know when taking those 30 minutes to just think and to uh, kind of get some of those good chemicals flowing around is, is so good. Like if, if I'm feeling stressed, I go for a run, it, everything comes back into perspective and it's, it's so good for you. What the last question, uh, what, what are your aims for the future? So right now I am my biggest hold back. If that makes sense. So in, in, so I'm, you know, trying to build a business essentially out of all of these different things, but all of them require my one-to-one -one attention. So I'm trying to figure out how can I tend to one myself? How do I multiply myself to be more available? Um, whether that's, you know, hiring people to work on, help me work on the content, which I have done. I've, I've made my first hire basically um, to, as a, to help me edit content and stuff like that. And I'm going to talk about it in terms of money, but it's true for everything. You know, I can only make as many dollars as I have hours available right now. There's no way for me to expand on that without putting in more time. And that's not sustainable. That's not, that doesn't increase anything for me. So now I'm trying to figure out how can I take the brand and the attitude and the knowledge and that stuff that I have spent all this time developing and help it expand to on one hand yeah make a little bit more money but also on the other hand to reach more people to get in front of more people to bring drone racing uh you know more and more audience and awareness and all this kind of stuff um and so the future looks like me trying to answer that question how do i take myself from a one-to-one -one relationship with stuff and make it into a 10 to one relationship and that's i don't know how to do that so if you have any ideas i'm all ears but uh, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So it's kind of like 
releasing control a little bit because uh, I presume you watched the YouTube channel Flight Test. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of of that show, and they've got like maybe six, seven presenters. Yeah. Had those kind of ideas floated around your head in terms of like having that kind of because because it's a similar it's a very similar thing and and yeah. and they're growing and they've got a great community with the the kind of events they go on and they've got the golf course which is like an awesome spot to to go and fly their planes. Yeah, I've uh, I actually went there and contrib like collaborated on a video with them. Um, the uh, the Millennium Falcon episode was really fun. Are there any other aims? Like you, oh, it's just growing. It that's literally like what you have in your head is like you're doing the drone racing which yep. is going well you've mm -hmm. got the business mm -hmm. it sounds like you've almost got the foundations already built and now you just want to kind of increase those in terms of like revenue and i suppose functioning more efficiently yeah absolutely because you know it, it growth itself creates opportunities right the more eyes i'm in front of the more ideas come in the more um opportunities to 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 expand on that so like on on one hand yeah that's monetary but at the same time the opportunities that it creates and those you know sprinklings of fun things to do to to make this grind worth it also increase so it's you know i want to kind of continue to expand that because of all of the opportunities that it does create so like it's just kind of this self-building cycle of uh you know if i work harder i get to work harder later <laughs> Paul, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank really, you. Really, really appreciate it. Have you got anything you want to say at the end? Just like shout out or explain? Yeah. Anything? Um, the, the, the world of drone racing, yeah, it's kind of a little bit niche. It's a little bit weird. So anybody that made it this far, thank you for listening. Um, but the, the, the biggest driving factor of this for me is the community and the people that are a part of it. Um, there's very few places in life, especially right now, where people can interact on the same level no matter what, no matter their age, their race, their background, um, financial, whatever. Um, but in the world of drone racing, we have goggles. We put them over our eyes. And, you know, at that point, everyone's the same, right? doesn't matter who you are. And you start to see these interactions where an eight-year-old and a 70-year-old are interacting as a peer. I get to go to, I went to Tianjin, China, and I went out with some people that I've never met before that I don't speak Mandarin, and they didn't speak much English, And but it didn't matter. We could become close friends immediately because we have this shared narrative of drones. Now, I'm not saying you need to join drone racing to have that experience, but recognize those experiences in what you're doing, what's around you, and know that the connections that you're making with other people as a result of shared narrative are non-trivial. In fact, they're something that I think as humans we need in our lives. Humans are very com community-driven. And so my call to action for everyone is to recognize the people around you and the, and the opportunity that you have to have that shared narrative and b develop a non-trivial connection and take advantage of that, whatever it is you're doing. So that's that's my uh, that's my little shout out there at the end. Well, again, mate, thank you very much for your time, man. And I appreciate you jumping on this. Like, I only contacted you last night, my time. Yeah, no, t today, just like, I don't have any, like, scheduled things today, which is, like, 
a rarity. So otherwise, I'm just going to go back to making. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go film a video right now. But um, the uh, so I was just like, you know what? If you can do tomorrow, I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> so I just fired back, and I'm I'm glad that you took the time. Love it. No, thank you for your time. Dude. Cheers, mate. Have a good rest of the day. All right. So, my man. Thank you. You too. Bye. -bye.